tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, and that means it is time for The Art of the CEO, the show for the people who enjoy the challenge of business and who want to do it a little better. I'm your host, Bart Jackson, the Hieronymus Bosch of business, and whether you are the owner of a Whitewater River rafting enterprise trying to weather low water like Lance, or a top-notch publicist seeking to put her own unknown winery on the neophile's map like Jennifer, we are here to bring you the sage counsel of business masters and to help your career and business. Today's episode is entitled, Changing the Chair Bloodlessly. We Uh, Yes, we are indeed going to chat about how men and women of goodwill, each holding his own version of the organization's best interest in their hearts, can make the shift of power and leadership with a little personal and uh, very little corporate blood being shed as possible anyway. And to do this, we have selected one of what I see as the most good-hearted and only slightly political groups you could imagine, the U.S. Presbyterian Church Foundation. It is a worthy group, and to our good fortune, we have Pastor Dave Davis, the outgoing board chair of that foundation, to help guide us through. Now, Pastor Dave Davis' uh, eclectic assortment of skills range from thudding quarterbacks to earth on the gridiron to imbuing the Lamb of God's compassion into his flock at Nassau Presbyterian Church in Princeton, New Jersey, where he has served as senior pastor since the year 2000. Renowned for the effectiveness of his preaching, Dave teaches homiletics at his alma mater, Princeton Theological Seminary. He was also a Harvard man, but we can't hold that against him. And you can find his collected sermons in his book, A Kingdom You Can Taste, Sermons for the Church Year. It's available on Amazon, but better yet, you can get them in installments at Nassau Church every Sunday. Dave has held leadership and executive positions and led committees in the U.S. Presbyterian Church's General Assembly, which is their uh, top body that speaks to, not for, the church, since uh, low 1998, and he is currently coming to the end of his term as chairman of the U.S. Presbyterian Foundation Board of Trustees. Dave is one of those leaders who uh, can take genial ecclesiastical squabbles, and amidst it all, hold the calm confidence of a Christian with four aces. He is a man made to lead. But before we solve all your board leadership and successive challenges, let me take a few moments to supply you out there with a few utensils for our Feast of Insights. First, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you individuals hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself, the most important position you'll ever hold in your career. Will this be the day you shrug off the routine and take a little venture into whimsy? Or will you continue to keep your eyes on the competition and let them direct your actions? The choice is truly yours. Secondly, it is time to dip into a little laughter and take a scriptural 
recitation from the marvelous book, The 101 Best Business Quips. Here we go. Hold on. Okay, I've got it. I got it. This is number 43. Harvard Business Review studies, quote, prove that the exact optimum length of tenure for a CEO is 4.8 years. Apparently, given another 45 days, she'll absolutely destroy the firm. Heaven knows. Uh, As an afterthought, I invite you all to beware of statistical alchemy, and we instead might try opting for the quality of character. Always helps. The third utensil, and perhaps we'll call this day's utensil the grail swirler, swirler spoon, um, we'll, we'll now give you the answer to last week's business quotation. Today, before we leave the air, we will broadcast another quotation, and we invite you to email uh, the name of that author, as you believe it to be. Simply write info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And if you're right, we'll send you a small gift and announce your prize-winning name on the air. The author of last week's quote, that is the individual who said, when I see an overpolite merchant who begs customers to take a little brandy and throws half his goods on the counter, thinks I to myself, this man has an axe to grind. That individual was none other than the American historian and congressman in the early 1800s, Mr. Charles Minor. And yes, I do love that term, the axe to grind. That's where it came from. I love the phrase. So now, let us dig into today's feast and call upon the expertise of the Presbyterian Church Foundation Chair and Senior Pastor of Nassau Presbyterian Church, Reverend Dave Davis. Dave, how are you doing today? Uh, Hi, Bart. I'm doing really well, thank you. It's a great day. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is indeed. I'm glad you could be here. Ladies and gentlemen, I should tell you first that uh, by my good fortune and Dave's good tolerance, I'm a member of Dave's Nassau Presbyterian Church. And when he found that I was coming, uh, that he was coming on a radio show, which I was hosting, he preached a sermon on how the good Lord uses even the most bizarre folks to complete its mission. And I I want to thank you for that, Dave. Happy to do that. uh, Always good to keep you on your toes. Right. Dave, as I understand it, it was the Presbyterians who gave us in the United States the model for our own representative government, complete with the process of tying up things in endless Byzantine committees. Am I right that we have you to thank for that model? Well, as I I talk to you from here in the heart of Princeton, and Princeton is the the uh, heart of American Presbyterianism in terms of history, uh, it is true right. that uh, it is true that the Presbyterians um, brought to the U.S. formation of government, a sense of uh, representation and the importance of the individual's voice and a democratic process for governance, and that all has its roots in the Presbyterian form of government coming out of coming out of Scotland and from Geneva, and and so things like Robert's Rules and learning how to vote your own con- conscience and and having good representative conversations that is that does come out of the presbyterian system so yes committees and and ways of <laughs> of of operation have their roots in our in our tradition well i guess as the scottish say even even good government must take a few hard knocks mm-hmm. so uh now uh, you have served for eight years, as I understand it, on the Board of Trustees for the Presbyterian Foundation, which in one sense is the fiscal arm of the U.S. Uh, Presbyterian churches. Could you give us the kind of executive summary version of what the foundation is and why it exists? 
Yeah, the foundation exists, uh, Bart, to serve the Presbyterian Church USA, which is one of the denominations of the Presbyterian Churches in the United States, the Presbyterian Church mm-hmm. USA, and the foundation was actually established in the year 1799. 1799, oh, the foundation wow. had its roots out of Philadelphia. It was uh-huh. chartered as a foundation, and it yeah. uh, it exists to cultivate and to attract and manage funds that serve the mission of the church, both domestically and internationally. It uh, is it serves uh, not just as a fiscal arm; you might describe it as an endowment arm, an investment oh, arm. Okay. Uh, and we help congregations to raise funds, and we help to connect oh. Presbyterians to causes they're passionate about. Okay, I see. It's a, it's a little different slant than I had in mind. Now, could you tell us where the funding comes from? I mean, I know you have uh, nearly a thousand listed donors, but yeah. does, does some of this come from the tie share of the cash that co- comes into the plate each Sunday? How much money are we talking about, and, and how are the, the resources obtained? The Presbyterian Foundation manages uh, currently about $1.7 billion dollars. And a large part of that money is actually pre-World War II money, which goes to the history that I mentioned earlier, um, that individuals uh, gave over... Uh, over the centuries, literally, to uh, to the Presbyterian Foundation. And so the Presbyterian Foundation manages a large portion of permanent funds that were established. Um, we now, uh, in the changing world of philanthropy, the denomination, the foundation manages and attracts money in different ways. Uh, in a changing philanthropic world, people do not give to permanent funds the way they used to a generation ago. And so yeah. uh, the foundation's business model now includes serving congregations who had their own endowment funds are invested at the foundation. Uh, individuals oh. use the foundation to set up donor-advised funds um, so that they can mm-hmm. manage their philanthropic giving. Um, and the foundation also has a trust company, uh, a chartered oh. trust company in all 50 states that helps folks to take care of a trust company, trust business, trust-related business. So it's a very diverse charitable right. organization. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Uh, I'm getting. Uh, I think we're all getting a little better handle on this. Now, I, I do know that the scope of the foundation is global. Indeed, uh, you are funding new businesses in ancient Jericho and refurbing Presbyterian clergy retirement homes in downtown Pennsylvania. And you even, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you're helping the new and burgeoning churches in Nepal, which is getting its first taste of Christianity. Am I right there? You are right. There, there are um, the reach of the foundation through funding um, this, these missions and these opportunities. It's an extensive reach around the world, and the the primary role of the foundation in in those uh, in those opportunities is is a fiduciary responsibility, like any right. other foundation. And so, mm-hmm. and so, of these uh, these funds that are distributed for these diverse opportunities that you described, um, the yeah, foundation's yeah. responsibility is a fiduciary one, and that is that we manage the funds to make sure they're available into perpetuity. Um, we also are responsible for compliance and making sure uh, where the funds, they go where the donors intend them to go. Um, uh, they're being spent the way the donors want them to be spent. And then yeah. in general, um, the foundation is committed to, on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA, we are committed to a faith based values based 
socially responsible form of investment. And so, um, okay. and so we honor the uh, socially responsible commitments of the denomination and of our donors uh, in the way that the funds are invested as well. I see. So it is a it is a dual thing. Could you uh, just just for fun? Could you give uh, give us one example of a uh, donation or fiscal uh, responsibility that that you undertook that would that that might be pretty surprising to the folks out there? And uh, what is some of, one of the more bizarre things? Uh, well, well. Uh Interestingly, uh, what one of the uh, activities that's going on now is it's not a surprise to the listeners that um, mainline churches like the Presbyterian Church that um, the churches uh, are some are in decline and in, in, in the changing yeah. demographics of some of our neighborhoods and cities, the church buildings are no longer used for church purposes, and so the oh. foundation has been involved in helping congregations make decisions about the asset of their building, and in some cases selling uh. their building, and then using uh-huh. that money that is from the sale of the of the building to further the mission of the church. And so there are churches in Atlanta oh. and churches in, in Chicago that have actually sold their buildings, and then they continue to exist and meet in other places. The, uh, the model would be the old storefront model of a, of a church. So right, they meet in right. different and new and creative places, but they don't have a huge building and the cost of a building hanging over their head. And thanks to the foundation, that money's invested and then funds actual oh. ministry and mission rather than the weight of uh, of bricks and mortar, yeah. as it were. So that's one of the creative things that's going on oh, that's now. Neat. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I'd like you to take uh, take note of that. That's a, a, a quill pen moment, I think. So dip your pen into your inkwell, put it in, jot this down. It's not the building that you're in. It's the spirit of the people. The, uh, the very religion itself and uh, most new enterprises begin uh, in homes and basements and uh, the real strength and backbone of the church and of your business is the people and um, while cathedrals are great cathedrals are impressive so many of them house only the dead so i invite you all to remember where the real life of your organization lies anyway that's my, that's my own sermon and i think that's <laughs> a, a, more than enough of that uh, um now um you folks at the foundation board obviously do not throw darts at a wall uh what kind of support do you get for uh, making your allocation decisions? Well, the allocation decisions come in a, in a few different ways. Um, uh-huh. First, we have mission partners all around the world, um, both through the, our denominational partners, but also individuals who have given money. I mentioned earlier uh, the, the Donor Advised Fund, which is a, a very popular instrument for charitable philanthropic distribution of individuals. Uh, and so we honor where folks would like to give their money, and we build relationships, and we connect them the donor to their passion and to the to their mission, and so that's one way that the allocation happens. Uh, and, and another way is, is that we um, we research and identify areas of, of folks who are in need of support, and then we go out and look for donors to connect them. So we we lift up oh. folks who are doing interesting things in urban mission, or in international mission opportunities, or um, microfinancing in parts of the world that are struggling, and then oh, we search I'm, for well, churches and individuals. That. Yeah, That's we search great. for churches and individuals who might be interested in that type of investment. The third level uh-huh. of 
the third level of distribution is simply um, a more of a foundation inside insider baseball business uh, right, right. reality, which is that is that we follow a spending formula, and that the spending formula is set by our advisors and our investment advisors, uh, investment managers that. Uh, we distribute a certain percentage of our funds over a three uh, three year period rolling quarter um, rolling quarter average, just like all endowments do that right. support institutions. And so that's also part of the allocation is this is the spending formula model. I said my my wife has put me on a uh, spending formula model, and it 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 has a, it, it begins with don't, and I think it pretty much ends there. But anyway. Yeah. Um, the recently, I know that you have faced some very tough choices and had some real contention on certain issues, both of where you're giving and um, also uh, in the uh, moral conscience of, of your investments. Uh, could you tell us uh, just a couple of those without without delving into divine or pastoral polity? I mean, I, I don't want to. Uh, Set up, set up armed camps here. But could you cite yeah. a couple of the more contested decisions? Well, it strikes me in your question part that the, the first difficult decision over the last few years has simply been an economic one, and that is that we've had hmm. to monitor the the the, the uh, volatility of the market to make sure with our spending formula that we are uh, being fiscally conservative and responsible for the long haul. And so right, some right. difficult decisions on spending formula to make sure we're there for perpetuity has been that that's been a challenge, but also mm-hmm. more recently and um more um more in the public square are uh, discussions similar to other foundations and university endowments related to things like fossil fuel investment, fossil uh, mm-hmm. and investment in the in the Middle East, in Israel and Palestine, and those conversations, which often have made the front page, um, yeah, those are decisions yeah. that that the Presbyterian Foundation is having to uh, rest. They're having to wrestle with as well. Though I will say that the Presbyterian Foundation itself follows the directives of the Presbyterian Church USA and its General Assembly. And so the foundation itself is decision neutral on some of these more political things, whereas right. the right. denomination gets involved in those conversations. It is a it is a difficult thing to uh, run an organizational foundation, but be uh, allied with the principles of your of, of the umbrella organization that is the church itself and i i think that that must be a sort of a balance of a foot on on each rolling ball that you have to keep as chair and uh, i think it's true I, I think it's true bart that the um that that, that is a, a delicate balance um and and where that balance is struck for us in the foundation is honoring, as I mentioned, the socially responsible screening of the Presbyterian Church that's now into its 35th year of 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 um, investing in a faith-based, socially responsible way. But also, uh, the other pole of the of the of the paradigm then would be our fiduciary responsibility, and that is our commitment not to do shareholder harm or harm to other right. investors. And that balance—that's the balance you're talking about. I see. okay, very well, well put, well put, ladies and gentlemen. We've come to the midpoint of our feast, and I'd like to invite us all to take a brief survey. It is time to introduce the company by whose good graces we're here today. 
That firm is Prometheus Publishing, creator of Bart's Books Ultimate Business Guides, and you may visit Bart's Books and explore a wide wealth of business tools. Prometheus would like to invite those uh, who are enjoying today's show to take a look at uh, two of our books. Number one, You Only Retire Once by noted financial advisor Mr. Roy Williams, in which he helps keep seniors out of the poorhouse shelter by pointing out the nine deadly uh, retirement mistakes. And the excellent volume, Behind Every Successful Woman, is Herself, which points out some of the real advantages and strategies for women in business. Also, if you like today's business quips, be sure to visit bartsbooks.com and sign up to have those quips delivered uh, weekly through the mysteries of cyberspace right your email door. Heaven knows we could all use a little laughter. So, ladies and gentlemen, and those rather bizarre folk in Prometheus' back room who fall into neither category, we are back with our very clever and capable shepherd of the flock, Mr. Dave Davis. Dave, uh, the relationship between a board, the, the trustees, and the staff is invariably an individual one. Everyone's different. When you first took over a share, how did you try to take your board and, and your, your, your group and connect it with the foundation staff? Um, and what kind of vision did you try to present? It's a really intriguing uh, challenge uh, when, you, when you're trying to have, a, a, in this case, a, a volunteer uh, board of trustees mm -hmm. that, that are not compensated for their work, and then very capable senior staff that are in a centralized location for the work of the foundation. And I inherited uh, a process of trying to improve board engagement and performance and uh, sort of got on that uh, boat midstream. And the areas that we were working on and I then carried out uh, as my leadership on the board's responsibility were things like we were in the midst of moving to a smaller board. We moved from a board that was more than 30 people to a board uh -huh. that's now 19 people and Boy, felt like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that that, that that would improve communication and uh, also increase uh, any individual board member's sense of their own contribution and their own importance and their due diligence and preparation. So the oh, moving to a smaller a load from your shoulders, right? It did, and it also uh, we 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 it increased um, it it improved attendance at board meetings. It improved people's mm. preparation and their contribution. So the second area that we worked on was improving communication between board meetings. The board meets three times mm. a year. We needed right. to improve that communication uh, by wow. electronic communication, uh, by the use of everything you can imagine from Skype calls to to uh, we've, we now don't do any paper. All of our board meetings are, are handled electronically and in virtual workspace. Oh, really? And so. Yeah, so we do not carry oh. thick board books around anymore. Even complex mm -hmm. financial reports and investment reports are distributed electronically. And well, then now the third, on the other end. Oh, go ahead. Yes. No, no, go ahead. Go, go with the third. the third. The third area that we worked on was committing both the board and the senior staff to a strategic plan. And I've never mm. been a part of a board where we were as successful as we've been in developing a plan and sticking to it. And the way we discuss Whoa. it, the plan doesn't stay on the shelf. We uh, we visited every meeting. Uh, we're working our way through the plan. Now we're five years in. We're reinvigorating the plan. And that uh -huh. has helped keep everybody's eye on the same ball, both senior staff and the and the uh, uh, board members. It sounds as if you've worked very hard to avoid a we-they situation. And I know... Uh, 
they always say that that when things are uh, that you talk to your board several times, your board members several times uh, close to the to the meeting, and then twice that number of times when there's trouble, rather than hiding yeah. from it. Uh, did, do you uh, did you get the feeling that you're uh, from the the board staff's uh, uh, membership that they that they were working very hard to make this extra connection and extra skypes and so forth with you? Oh, I think uh, I think we've improved it, Bart. I don't think there's any there's any secret that we could always do better um, at mm-hmm. communication between meetings. As you mentioned, you know, there are some rule of thumbs there that we're trying to break out of old habits and um, and communicate on a more regular basis. I also yeah. think um, I, I also think that in addition to board communication that we have worked really hard on just just board governance and having mm. conversation about the governance and appropriate governance um and we even brought in some consultants over the my time to discuss oh. with the board the the difference between a board member's responsibility and the responsibility of senior staff and to try to always yeah. maintain those boundaries between um, management responsibility and board responsibility, vision setting together, strategy together, and what are our expectations together, but then where do we step back and let senior staff and the rest of the staff at the foundation do their work and not micromanage? And, that, um, and yeah. that's a constant conversation, frankly. Okay. I was going to ask that because uh, I know there are consultants who do this. I have a couple of friends who are uh, very good at it, and I was wondering – if uh if with this um well i guess my first question is uh how would you rate your own board's um sense of mission in terms of the directives and advisements they give senior staff on a scale of 1 to 10 do you think you're uh, how how unified are you <laughs> well that's a great question i would say in the most recent years we are probably functioning at about a seven or an eight in terms of the board members' understanding of our current strategy, our current strategic Mm. plan, and the goals that are at the top of the list. I think we're doing pretty well at that. Where the foundation falls within the broader scope of the picture of the Presbyterian Church USA and where you and I started the conversation about uh, delivering, managing, collecting, managing, and delivering assets for mission and talking about that in a good elevator speech, I think the board is probably a little less at a four or a yeah, five. Yeah. yeah, right. It's it's very difficult to uh, to get a group of people cohesive enough, particularly in the short, brief bite situation. Um well, now you are come, you've come to the end, and I was just wondering what you saw some of the major problems of yourself stepping down and and trying to and how did you go about easing the blow and easing the transition yourself? Well, I'm finishing the term as chair, um, and there is a vice chair who is taking mm-hmm. my moving into the role of of chairperson. So, so and I one of the that's benefit- a rather standard. Uh, yes, one of the right now. correct. One of the benefits is a strong succession planning policy and practice right, for right. board leadership, and we've held to that yeah. and work on it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. One of the challenges is that I, I believe one of the gifts that I've brought to my leadership is 
um, of, uh, holding to the vision, um, binding people together, building teamwork and relationship. And part of that is that what I bring to this unique board is my role as a pastor. I'm not an investment manager. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a banker. I'm yeah. not an accountant. And so the challenge for the next chairperson who is an accountant will be how do we maintain our momentum of teamwork and togetherness oh, and, um, and, and, and how do we keep our our sense of uh, cohesiveness and mission together while she leads from probably a bit of a stronger business background than I brought to the table. Um, I, I the can things- see that. So we have, you've had an expert, you've had an expert in mission, it's, uh, and you're moving to uh, an expert in distribution, in effect, uh, and, yeah, and, business um, practice. and, and asset true. management, which is two entirely different uh, strengths, obviously. Yeah, and that's, for instance, one of the things I brought to the board, I believe, is um, is the opportunity during board meetings to simply uh, take a breath and reflect and share some devotion, share some um, some reflective time. It's always interesting right. to me that in the secular work on leadership, folks like Daniel Goleman and others use right. words like mindfulness uh, and attentiveness, <laughs> and they think yeah. they've invented things like prayer and quiet time. Right. And, and and one of the things I can bring uh, to that is is out of my role as a pastor is is inviting the board to just take let's take a break let's have some reflection let's have some prayer uh, let's worship together and yes indeed it's a faith based foundation but having that opportunity to unite people with deep breaths and thinking and reflection um, you know that didn't come out of Harvard Business School uh, churches and organizations are doing that a long time ago um, so so that's what okay. I brought to my well, Dave, this has been great, and I, I really have learned an awful lot. You've really helped us all here, I think. Unfortunately, we have come to the end, and so we are, have to round out the show. And uh, I, we really are going to have to have Dave back to, to talk more about this. But uh, in the meantime, I thank you very much. And uh, so let me leave you with today's business quip, as we promised. And who is the man who said, if you can't feed a team on two pizzas, the team is too large? Hint, the uh, Roman Colosseum cannot hold all the products this man sells. And finally, as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, ability is a seed that best flourishes under the water of sweat, not the barren soil of competitive stress. Ladies and gentlemen, it has been a privilege, as always. I thank you. Good afternoon. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.